Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hello again and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. If you've been searching for a place to be spiritually fed, you have found it. Like you, we believe the Holy Bible contains the spiritual nourishment we need to become faithful servants God requires to help grow His kingdom here on earth. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church, located in Los Angeles, California. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. Today, we want to continue our series called Face to Face, and we're looking at people in the New Testament who had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Last week, we looked at the man on the mat. I hope you enjoyed that sermon. Today, I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. And if you have your sermon notes, I want to speak to you today on the subject of the woman at the well. I'm always amazed at how a Bible story that is 2,000 years old is so applicable to what is going on in our world today. This story, this encounter, uh, tells you everything you need to know about Jesus. And at the same time, this story will help you as you help others to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. I want to begin, if you're taking notes, by talking about the context. We did this last week. You know, whenever you read a a passage of Scripture, you always want to know the context. Now, Jesus, uh, again, we're in John chapter 4, but if you go all the way back to John chapter 2, Jesus is down in Jerusalem, and he's there for the Passover feast. And when he's there, it is the story, and you can go back and read it, it's the story of where Jesus cleared the temple. He cleansed the temple. And not everyone knew a lot about Jesus at that time, but at that time, his reputation with the religious leaders started to unravel a little bit. The religious leaders of his day and age began to see Jesus as a troublemaker, and you, you can figure all that out. And so that's John chapter 2. He cleanses the temple. Religious leaders are upset. Jesus is a troublemaker. Then you come to John chapter 3. There's a clandestine Uh, meeting with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader who had questions about Jesus. And at the end of John chapter 3, right before we get to John chapter 4, there's a discourse concerning John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and John the Baptist was also considered a troublemaker at this time. John the Baptist is troublemaker number one by the religious elite. So that when you come to John chapter 4, I want want you to see that Jesus has been in Jerusalem. 
He's cleansed the temple. The religious leaders think that he's a troublemaker, kind of like John the Baptist. And then we come to John chapter 4. And I want to read to you just the first three verses as we begin. And we're going to read through most of this chapter. So I hope you have your Bibles and we'll get through this as quickly as we can. John chapter 4, verse 1, the Pharisees, those are those religious leaders. Those are the religious elite. They had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So the Pharisees heard that that troublemaker, Jesus, who cleansed the temple back there in John chapter 2, that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than that other troublemaker, John the Baptist. So, verse 2, although in fact it was not Jesus who was doing the baptizing, but his disciples, verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, when he learned of what? Well, when he learned that the Pharisees were keeping track of him, when he learned of that, he left Judea and he went back once more to where? He went to Galilee. Now, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and write this down, the Pharisees were very, very jealous of John the Baptist. They didn't like John the Baptist at all. They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like his clothes. They didn't like his hair. They didn't like the way he smelled. They didn't like anything about him. They were always upset with his preaching because whenever John the Baptist was preaching, he was always stepping on their toes. Now, imagine if the Pharisees were upset with John the Baptist who was eventually beheaded, imagine how much more upset those religious leaders are going to be with Jesus when he's gaining more disciples than John and he's baptizing more disciples than what John is baptizing. And Jesus again had created this chaos back there in the temple courts in in John chapter 2. So according to verse 3, When Jesus learned that these religious leaders were tracking him, the Bible says that he left Judea, which was way down south, and he went back to Galilee, which was way up north. Now, Galilee is where he lived. Galilee is where he conducted his ministry. Galilee was where his hometown Nazareth could be located. Galilee is where Capernaum was, where Jesus spent most of his time in ministry. And so you need to know that when Jesus found all this this stuff about the Pharisees keeping track of him, he decides that he's going to go back home to Galilee. So verse 4 in your Bible, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I don't have time to explain to you all of the history. If you've you've read or studied the Bible much, you know this. But Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Samaritans were considered to be unclean. Jews really would not associate with Samaritans at one period of time. In fact, usually, if a Jewish person wanted to go from Judea to Galilee, they would not go through Samaria Oftentimes, as this picture of this map portrays, the Jewish person would cross over the Jordan River and go up around Samaria and then cross back over the Jordan River back into Galilee. But the Bible says, again in verse 4, that Jesus chose to go smack dab through the middle of Samaria to a little town called Sychar, 
where he would have a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman. There's a spiritual truth here that Jesus was always in God's place at God's time doing God's will. And oh, if we would just apply that to our life, if we would learn to be in God's place at God's time doing God's will, how much more productive our lives and ministry would be. So many of us were always at our place. We're doing things according to our schedule. We're doing the things that we want to do. And it's really one of the reasons why we can't get people to come to church, because people are not interested in God's place. They're not interested in God's time and doing God's will. I heard about a preacher. This is a funny little story. This preacher, he actually skipped church. He skipped church, and he went golfing. And while he was golfing that Sunday morning, he, he got a hole in one. And St. Peter said to the Lord, Lord, why would you allow him to get a hole in one on Sunday when he was skipping church? And the Lord said, who's he going to tell? Who's he going to tell? You see, Jesus was always at God's place at God's time doing God's will. That's the context. Then we come to point number two in your notes is what I call a country road. Not a country song, but a country road. Verse 4, again, John 4, 4, says that he had to go through Samaria. And then verse 5 says, so he came to a town. I mean, he's out in the middle of nowhere. And the way you get to a country town is you've got to go down a country road. He is out in the boondocks, so to speak. And the Bible says that Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, It was near a plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well, there was a well out there in the middle of nowhere, out there in the middle of the country was a well called Jacob's well. And verse 6 says that Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the, he was tired. It says Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, that he sat down by the well out there in the middle of the country, and the Bible says it was about the sixth hour. Write this down. This speaks of Jesus's humanity. One of the great doctrines of the Bible was that that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the exact same time. It's the sixth hour, which means that it's probably 12 o'clock noon. It's probably really, really hot outside, To go from Jerusalem to Sychar, about halfway up to Galilee, it's about 40 miles worth of walking. Why, it might have taken Jesus two or possibly three days to make that journey. And as he's walking, he walks five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, takes him again a couple of days, he walks 40 miles. It's 12 o'clock noon, he's hot, he's thirsty, he's tired, he sits down, because he's tired from that long journey and he just sat down there by the well, that's the exact same thing you and I would have done had had we been walking out in the country for about 40 miles. It was hot, it was tired. You would have sat down by that well too. And so that's exactly what Jesus did. Then we come to point number three, which is called the connection or the contact. Jesus has a connection with a, a woman that's at that well. I want you to look at your Bibles, John chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says that a Samaritan woman came 
to draw some water. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8 says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So there wasn't really even a town there. The, The town is a little bit further down that country road. They're out there in the middle of nowhere by a well. A woman walks up. Jesus says, will you give me a drink? The Bible says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him in verse 9, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, Jesus overcame three hurdles. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. In spite of gender differences, in spite of moral differences, and in spite of racial differences, Jesus began to have a conversation with this woman. He has a connection with this woman. A man back in those days, back in Bible days, a man did not talk to a woman in public. A rabbi, uh, secondly, would never talk to someone who was as immoral as this woman was. And number three, a Jew never associated with a Samaritan back in those days. Yet Jesus overcame all three of those obstacles and had a connection with this woman. Now, there's a couple of things to remember. One is that Jesus loved people not because of who they were, that Jesus loved people because that was his nature. He chose to love people. That's who he was. He loved people not because of who they were. He loved people because that's who he was. And if you read the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus has encounter after encounter after encounter with people. It didn't matter if they were a harlot. It didn't matter if they were a Samaritan. It didn't matter if they were a Pharisee. It didn't matter if they were a sinner. Jesus loved all people. Can someone say amen? I also want you to notice in that text that Jesus did not argue with her. He just loved her. He doesn't even answer her question about race. He doesn't even answer her question about her being a woman. He does not even touch the subject that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She brought all those arguments up. He didn't even talk about those things. He knew that to argue on any of those points would not accomplish things that were really, really important. And that's a lesson for all of us because you and I like to argue with all kinds of people over all kinds of issues that really don't matter in the great scheme of life. I do want to add that race is a man-made barrier. Race is not a God-made barrier. We were all created in the image of God. I want to say that to you again, just so you can say amen. We were all created in the image of God. Man is the one that likes to divide people based on color and based on race. Don't let class, don't let gender, don't let race, don't let color, don't let social status keep you from loving all people. 
See everyone that you meet as a living soul created in the image of God. And that's exactly how Jesus viewed this woman. So Jesus sits down at this well. A Samaritan woman walks up. He asks her for a drink. It's about 12 o'clock noon. It's hot outside. He's tired. The woman in verse 9 says, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You are a man, I'm a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, we shouldn't even be talking to each other. In other words, she's asking, why are you talking to me? I'm a nobody. I'm unworthy. And from that, Jesus begins to have what we call a conversation. Oh, we need to have more good conversations. Can someone say amen? All of a sudden, we have a conversation between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. I want to read to you from John chapter 4, starting with verse 10, and I'll read over to verse 15. Let's just read this story. Jesus answered her, if you knew, oh, if only you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, why you would have asked him and he would have given you living water everybody say living water verse 11 sir the woman said you don't even have you have nothing to draw with and the well is very very deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and his herds in other words she said i've been coming to this well This well has been here a long, 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 long time. Verse 13, Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Don't forget what the woman said in verse 15. She said, Sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw uh, this, this water from this well. Now, a couple of things. I want you to write this down. Jesus always used physical things to illustrate things that were spiritual. He always did that. Later on, he'll talk about bread. And he will take just bread, which was very, very common in those days, And he will take that to illustrate that he himself is the bread of life. In other words, he is the one that fully satisfies. He uses something physical to explain a spiritual truth. He talked about light, and he talked about how you and I are supposed to be the light of the world. He's not talking about a a, a literal light, but that you and I are to, to dispel darkness around the world by the way we live our lives. He talked about salt and how salt, just not just physical salt, but that you and I as believers, that we are the salt of the earth, that you and I as believers should be influencing the world spiritually. And of course, we know that eventually he'll, in the upper room, he'll talk about uh, the communion and he'll have an illustration with a, a cup of wine and he'll say that, take this wine, just, just a cup of wine and uh, and, and, he, and he said, take this wine, and, and, and it's, it's symbolic of the blood that was shed for the sins of the world. 
Oh, again, he's just using something physical to explain something that is, is spiritual. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this story. She's there for some physical water, yet he takes that opportunity to try to lead her down a path towards spirituality. The second lesson I learn in this story is that the things of this world will never, ever satisfy. I want you to think about what we spend most of our time pursuing Oh, a lot of us get up every day and all we think about is money, making more money. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, it will never, ever, ever be enough because the things of this world never satisfy. Fame uh, fame is, is fleeting. Getting a new car always depreciates. Pleasure leaves you empty on the inside. Alcohol and drugs never ultimately bring happiness. All of us pursue good health. Sooner or later, all good health fades into bad health. But the things of God, His Word, His Holy Spirit, eternity, heaven, spiritual truth, salvation, those things last forever. And those things satisfy the deep longings of the heart and of the soul. So Jesus has this conversation. It's an encounter between a Samaritan woman with a broken life, and the son of the living God. And she is drawing water from a well that will satisfy her thirst for just a few hours. And yet Jesus is offering her a living water that will satisfy the longings of her heart forever. This is an epic conversation about some well water and that has the potential to direct this woman's life towards something that will transform her life completely just because of this encounter that she's having with Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we come to the next point, which is point five. All of a sudden, Jesus throws this woman a curveball. Something important happens in the middle of this conversation they are talking and they're, they're conversing and everything's good. Everything's positive. Everything's enlightening. Uh, he is witnessing to her. He's trying to help her. He's trying to bless her. He's trying to let her see some spiritual truths. And all of a sudden, Jesus dives into an area that most of us would be afraid to even broach. I want to read to you what happens next. Take your Bibles. Look at John chapter 4 and verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband. Right in the middle of this conversation. Go call your husband and come back. I think there was a pause. I think she looked at him like, like, what did you say? Did did I hear that right? We're having a conversation here at the well. I I came all the way here. It's hot. I'm thirsty. You were talking about everlasting water. And all of a sudden you say, go call my husband and come back. She pauses for a moment, then verse 17, she says these words. She says, I have no husband. I think Jesus paused. I think he gave her an opportunity to tell the rest of her story. But all she said, she didn't tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. She just told a little bit of the truth. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day 
to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, one thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.